You know, I'm tired of stories being in Haiti more than they are here. That's ridiculous. Dead can be raised here. I got mad in my kitchen last night. I told my wife, I told BB and my kids, I said, I want to see more uh, healings. We need to increase in what we're seeing manifest. I've had about enough of the devil. These pale plastic sermons with illustrations, three things that rhyme and no power. Forget that. I want power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. We ought to be more excited coming in here. You ought to just want to be able to just see what God sees, experience what God's normal is. Maybe supernatural is normal. You know, if my life's not supernatural to some degree, it's completely superficial. I feel like I'm preaching at a Chinese fire drill in a basketball game. <laughs> Speaking of basketball, I want to honor our assistant coach to the Bridgeway Revival team. We're 0-3. Doug Layton, stand up. This is Doug Layton back here, everybody. I want to give an update. Bridgeway has a basketball team. We're 0-3. He probably should be the head coach, not me. Pray for the revival. We're off to a rough start. We got clipped by 50 in the first game. Lost a squeaker by 40 in the second. And then played six guys the other night, lost by four. So we're moving in the right direction. Doug came over to me before the game, and he said, they only have four guys here. I was like, let's just pray none of them, nobody else shows up. Went down to the wire. Bridgeway revival. It's like in the kingdom of God, everything's opposite. You say revival, you think, man, you guys, 3-0, and o, killing people. No. Nope. We're off to a slow start. Um, I am really excited about this morning, unusually so. Merry Christmas. And um, I... Let's go to Matthew 2. Let's go to Matthew 2. If I get animated, I apologize. Um, I just... When you see what God sees, you act the way he acts. A lot of you going to go to heaven and be very surprised. He's not like Mr. Rogers. He's a roaring lion. People think, hey, don't bother the Lord. He's Jesus. If you go into a Christian bookstore, he always looks so harmless. You understand your king of glory descended into hell and ripped the demonic realm apart, took the keys from the enemy and handed it back to the church? Satan realized he couldn't defeat the church 2,000 years ago, so he just joined it. Angels are bored in most churches. You know, Jesus Christ from the cross and from that perspective, it was an obliteration of the demonic realm. And you can ask the people that follow me on this team, I don't talk about the enemy much, but I'm going to talk about him today. All right, let's go to Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Every great story has a villain. The father sovereignly put his baby boy at birth under the leadership of a tyrant and a sadistic, cold-blooded murderer. See, a lot of Christians run from the enemy. 
I can't tell you how many times I'll be praying for people and I'm just thinking, I cannot imagine having such a big view of the devil. Like a lot of charismatics are more demon-centric than Christocentric, cross-centric. It's as though we think that the goal of our lives is to avoid the enemy. Who told you that? Can y'all help me a little bit? It's like a library in here. There's, there's two ditches. One ditch is you're so demon-centric that you think there's a demon behind every bush. Well, even if there is, if I'm at the bush, then the demon's in trouble. I'm not in trouble. We have such a small view of who we are in Christ. If you travel to the east, there's so many orphanages everywhere. The church in the west, a lot of churches are just spiritual orphanages of God's kids who don't live in their full rights. Herod was, he was horrific. He was a Jewish king. He got there through manipulation. He came from evil heritage. And you would think if, if the father was wired like us, he would just put Jesus on the backside of a country somewhere where just, just protect him. The father says, put him at the base of Rome and put him under Herod. The most evil empire in the history of the world is Rome. And the father said in his Kairos appointed time, put my baby boy at the base of Rome under Herod. Light is never afraid of darkness. A lot of people live their lives with God from a posture of self-defense towards the demonic realm. Whoever told you we're supposed to be all about self-defense? And so we, what we do is we categorize how effective we are with God based upon the six or seven things I'm not doing. And our lives with God become about sin management. I went an entire month without cussing. Well, when's the last time you've laid hands on somebody and delivered them of the enemy? When's the last time you've seen a blind eye open? When's, when's the last time that wind's blown around someone when you prayed for them? Instead of always defining who I am by what I'm not doing, when's the last time you've done something When's the last time the demonic realm, that someone gave you a word to you that the demonic realm is depressed every morning when you wake up? Every morning when you wake up, when's the last time someone that walks with God said, you terrify the enemy? When's the last time someone gave you a word that says, you torture the enemy's camp? We don't even think this way because it's like, oh God, please don't let the devil get me. It takes one angel in Revelation to throw him into the lake of fire in the end. One. Isaiah 14 and 15. Is this the one? This is the one that made the nations tremble? They pondered and stared at his fate? This is the one? I'm going to tell you why the Father has to wipe so many tears away from our eyes when we go to heaven because we realize what we didn't walk in while we were here. There is nothing more sad in the church in the West than a child of the Father spending most of his or her life being offended with the leader that hurts you a daddy who didn't do something for you, something that didn't go your way. Jesus Christ was put at the base of Rome and under Herod's leadership, and all he did was win, win, win. He's a winner. God's kids are winners. Why don't God's kids act more like winners? I'd rather train 100 winners than have a church of 10,000 orphans. Jesus Christ changed the world by investing in three men, Peter, James, and John. He only took three to the top of the mountain. He trained them. He trained them to be ruthless, cold-blooded killers toward the demonic realm. Paul says in Corinthians one time, he says, I knew a man that once went into the third heaven. There's three realms. Third heaven is where the Father is. This second realm is where principalities are. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
Christians in the West are always about flesh and blood. So-and-so said this, so-and-so hurt me. Has it ever occurred to us that there's an influence on so-and-so who hurt you? And your problem may not even be your dad. Your problem may be the demonization that your dad's walked in from his grandfather and his grandfather and his grandfather. Any believer who doesn't have a taste for blood against the demonic realm, first question you got to ask, am I born again? Second question is, am I spirit-filled? And the third question is, why am I avoiding what the Father told me to attack? When Jesus Christ said this, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, gates have never chased anything. I put a gate around my house. I don't know why we put fences around our house. I guess so the dog doesn't go out. Somewhere around the industrial age, we didn't value connection as much, and our front porch conversations went to the back porch. And then we just don't like to connect as much with anybody, unless it's on social media when no one can know us. They can just hear our opinions, but we really don't walk with people. And so when it comes to gates, gates are meant to defend. Hell has gates. Why does hell have gates? Because hell is terrified of what would happen if the church woke up to learn what's inside of us to move towards what we're supposed to be obliterating. A lot of you are experiencing demonic warfare in your life, and it's not because the Father wants that. It's because you don't know how to stand, and you don't know how to make the enemy flee from you. It says in James, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You resist. Resist means to go towards, to knock back. We've become powerless, not because Jesus is powerless, but we've become so ignorant, and we think that the goal of our lives is to avoid three or four things. And a lot of men who walk in character would never cheat on their spouses. They would never hurt their families. That is so noble. But you look at what they are doing, and they aren't doing anything. They're not playing offense. Everything's about defense. Satan actually loves the message of character with no power because he can leave you alone. Because you're harmless, and you're so nice, and you're so passive. The church has become too passive. I was in Haiti one time, and... We, I cannot get this lady delivered of multiple demons. And I don't know what she was in the voodoo church. I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It, but it, it was high. There's levels in the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness values structure more than the uh, local church does in the West many times. Like a lot of charismatics hate structure and they think controls against the, the Holy Spirit. Satan loves that message. It's called the solar system. Even the kingdom of darkness has structure. And this, um, this woman, she was high up. And it was intense. It wasn't anything to laugh about. I cannot get her delivered. And I didn't hear the father say anything. And so finally, about the fourth or fifth time I prayed over her with Pastor Gary there, I just went up and I put my nose right on her nose. And I wasn't talking to her. And I said, and I said, y'all, just kind of funny, because I knew it was more than one. And apparently demonic realm understands y'all because I said, if y'all don't leave her alone, I will torture y'all. And when I said the word torture, she was delivered instantly. It was dramatic. See, a lot of people just pray. Well, a lot of people wouldn't pray, and they'd go look for the Frank Peretti book and maybe kind of throw it at her and hope something happens. <laughs> Download someone else's podcast. It's like, hey, they believe in this stuff. Oh, God, Bill Johnson, please help her. <laughs> Some of y'all need to stop listening to podcasts. Read the Bible. Grow up. Let the enemy be terrified of you. Well, when I did, she got delivered. I learned something that day. We don't see a lot of people help because we don't understand persistence in warfare. 
Can you put the verse back up of Matthew 2? What a Christmas sermon, by the way. (laughs) After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, every great story has a villain. Every great story has a hero. God wasn't afraid of Herod. God's not afraid of the devil. You understand he's already defeated. So many people say, oh, you're moving into a season of warfare. That is awesome. I love that. That is fantastic. So, you know, what we did is we're so scared to death that we take the Apostles' Creed. And when it comes to the part about Jesus descending into hell, it's like, ah, we better not teach that. Just say he like, I don't know, just... He just wasn't there for three days. Where do you think he was for three days? Simon Peter knew. Read his letters. Why did Jesus go into sin into hell? Well, to answer that question, you got to go back to the garden. The question is, what did the serpent take from Adam and Eve in the garden? You see, Adam and Eve committed high treason in the garden. And they handed their authority over to the one. He didn't take it through force. He took it through trickery. He's not taking your life through force. He's taking it through trickery. And what you don't know can kill you. You know how you torture the enemy? You torture him with truth. Jesus tortured the enemy with truth in the desert. When he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Why do so many people in the kingdom, typically about 10%, walk in a level of power and influence and favor that the other 90 don't? We have turned this thing into a theological conversation that the 10% is more anointed than the other 90. Not true. The 10% knows something that the other 90 doesn't know. Hosea 4, 6, my people die from lack of knowledge. Laying on my bed last night, 10 p.m., reading Romans. I'm not even preaching out of Romans. You know why I'm reading Romans? Because I want revelation. I want the Father right now more than I've ever wanted him in my life. I want him more than food. I want him more than influence. I want him more than favor. I want him more than anything. I want him more than anything. When Jesus was sitting at the woman at the well... And the disciples came up, and they were like, what in the world is he doing now? And so they broke the ice and said, hey, do you want something to eat? The Lord said, I have food you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Why do I want revelation? Because without revelation, you're not going to be able to navigate through your Herod seasons. A lot of people are always praying to please deliver me from this Herod situation. The Father didn't deliver Jesus from being born at the base of Rome and under Herod's leadership. But what the Father did is he groomed Jesus to know how to walk through it. Quit praying for God to get the devil off your back and ask God to teach you how to stand, how to navigate, how to maneuver. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in the revelation of who he was. He grew in the revelation of how the kingdom works. Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus had to grow, I do too. One of my favorite passages is Acts 19. Let's go there now and I want to read this. This is, they call Christianity by, by the way, Christian's a derogatory term given by the Romans. The Romans would die laughing if they knew we called each other Christians right now. Paul calls us ambassadors, wayfarers, pilgrims, strangers. Christians was a derogatory term. Back then it was called the way, and persecution was coming against the way. Man, I feel the anointing on me so strong right now. You should be so excited when persecution is coming against you. He always overplays his hand. Persecution made the church grow from Acts 2 into Greenville in 2000. 
what are we, 17. By the way, Travel and Leisure magazine, did you see this? The number two place right now in the world to visit is Greenville, South Carolina. That's not, that's not Christian.com. That's Travel and Leisure magazine. You want to know why? Because we live in a favored city. God told me some stuff about Greenville one time. I don't want to share yet because y'all think I'm crazy, but Travel Leisure Magazine. Some of y'all are thinking, where are they going to go? That peach and Gaffney? How much stuff can you see in Greenville? <laughs> Once I go to Larkas, where else am I going? Some of, some of you right now in your mind is like, all right, I walk the swamp rabbit trail. You know why they're coming? Because God's here. I'm not kidding. Some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy. I don't care. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. When's the last time you tried to drive out an evil spirit? Oh, brother, you got to be careful. We got to be fair and balanced. Got to be careful. You have a hard time finding a church in Greenville, South Carolina, that you could go to the lead pastor and say, will you deliver me? They don't even believe in it. You're going to have to let the Bible guide your life. And let the fear of man die off. I love delivering people from demons. Matter of fact, if you need deliverance from a demon this morning, when I'm done preaching, I'll stand right here. I'll get you delivered. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. We, golly. I love counseling. I value counseling. Sometimes people just need to be delivered. If you think all the demons are in Haiti, I mean, come on. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. I, I, this is kind of funny if you ask me. You want to talk about parasitic behavior. Because we still do the same thing. A lot of us will live off of the revelation of someone else. <laughs> but we don't know we're doing it. Well, these, these people, they're going around doing the stuff that Paul did, that Jesus did. Well, the demonic realm is real, and the demonic realm knows who's walking with God and who's not. They would say, uh, uh, sorry, go back there. Let me read that one more time. I'm sorry. Um, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. He's living off Paul here a little bit. Don't ever, how do I say this? Whenever it's go time in your life, you will never be able to live off the blood or the power, the revelation of someone else, even if they're really close to you. Proximity is awesome, awesome. I want you to get revelation of what's coming out of my mouth today. But there's, there comes time in your life when it, you don't need to be talking about what Paul did. It don't matter what Paul did or what your son did or what you saw Aunt Pappy do. Or you read his book and he went to New Zealand one time and cast that demon out of that lady in 1946. You read her journal. In the name of Aunt Pappy. Aunt Pappy's not going to help you when the enemy's all over you. Not every attack is the same. There's some attacks. There's some situations. You don't, you don't have time to Google what Randy Clark said about this. Next verse. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day. There's always a one day in our lives. <laughs> one day, that one faithful day, Frodo is just in his little hobbit house and he knocks on that door. And there's Gandalf. I promise you, your one day's coming. When your one day comes, what are you going to say? Oh, oh, Bilbo, he did it this way. Let's say the story of Bilbo. This is about you, Frodo. 
That evil spirit said, hey, real quick. Um, you keep using Jesus' name. I know him. Matter of fact, he ruined our party. About 21 years ago, we had a three-day party in hell. We thought we'd beat him. And um, I know him very well. It drives me crazy when you say his name. Please stop saying his name. And I know Paul. He's driving us crazy. Who are you? This is real good. I used to love growing up in the Baptist church singing this song. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing real good, but I like loud worship. That way I can sing. Nobody can hear me. Except the one time I had the microphone on and Chris King and then made fun of me because I was recorded for like 20 minutes. It sounded like someone had shot me in that back room and I was singing. <laughs> There's a song called He Knows My Name. He knows my name. You know you've arrived when you have revelation that they know your name. Oh, God, I just don't deserve to preach this morning. And I'm sorry for the six things I did this week. And I'm so terrible in your eyes. And I'm not a good enough dad. And I'm not a good enough husband. And I don't even know why you made me. And I'm so depressed. And I know that your message is about victory. Christos victor and the cross is victory. But I just, oh, God, please, please help me not to cuss anymore. And, and, God, I just don't want to hurt anybody. I'm so pathetic. We would never really admit that. But that's how a lot of us live. When's the last time you were in a place and someone had a seizure and before you called 911, the first automatic response you had was get on your knees and lay hands on the person? I had someone come up to me not too long ago. This actually has happened quite often. Um, talking about the enemy's plans against me. This last time it happened, I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I've got a new uh, righteous indignation anger thing going on in me. I said, I don't care what the enemy's plans are against me. When's the last time someone gave you a word about who you are? What if I told you literally that the kingdom of darkness plans sessions on how they need help because you keep living? <laughs> Has it ever occurred to you that you literally can wear him out? I'm not kidding. I, I have never heard anyone teach this in my life. There are certain people the enemy's like, take a break. I don't want another staff meeting about how to take that thing out or him out. Jesus walks into a town and they said, oh no, have you come to torture us? The Lord hadn't said anything. The Lord hasn't said anything. If they'd have kept their mouth shut, probably nothing would have happened. Oh no, have you come to torture us? What if you took a break? from a counseling season in your life. Just took a break and just said yes to a season where you were just gonna go hunt a little bit. Go hunt, go play offense, go hunt. Everywhere you are, there's an opportunity for God to show off his glory through you. Last time I checked, David killed Goliath. Joseph's brothers bowed down to him. Jesus is still victorious. Joshua won. 
Moses got them out of Egypt. Esther wasn't killed by Xerxes. The goal of my life is not to take all the villains out of my life. The goal of my life is not to bypass opposition. The goal of my life is to learn who I am in the middle of it. Because without conflict, you'll never know who you are and you won't know who God is. Can we go to James 1? It wasn't an accident that the father put his baby boy under the leadership of Herod. You understand that Herod killed all babies two years and younger in that area? The father didn't have to put him there at that time. He did, though. James, a servant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Why do we try to run from the things that are ordained in the oracles of God to groom us into who we're supposed to be? Your destiny will always go through multiple Herods. It won't go around the Herods. There's no such thing. It's fictitious. It might, some, a friend of mine yesterday watched all the Lord of the Rings. I, th- I think all of them in one day. Surely it was half of them. If you watch six, good grief. Imagine, imagine Gandalf going to get Frodo out of the hobbit hut, and they just go grill out for three hours, and they eat. You'd be like, where's the conflict? Why is conflict bad? Conflict is beautiful because it gives you an opportunity to watch the glory of God in your own little tiny life as you overcome the Herods, plural. God will sovereignly put something in front of us, teach us and groom us on how to overcome it, and then call us overcomers. And then he'll give you a crown because he wants to celebrate who you're becoming. And when you're really good friends with him, you'll just take that crown, throw it down in his face, and say, I remember when Herod should have killed me. I remember when Goliath scared me. I remember when my brothers turned on me and I was in the fetal position. The point of the hero in the biblical narrative is not the hero. The point of the hero is how great God is in that tiny little insignificant hero, which is why God always chooses the unlikely. Most of us, if we wrote a story, we'd have made David like 13-foot William Wallace. When he talks, angels cry and they sing in his midst. David was so insignificant, Jesse was out of sons. He's like, I don't Samuel. Your prophetic is off. This is it. Here's one fella. He's ripped. He looks like CrossFit on steroids. I got the one down there. I don't know what he's doing. He's always, he's the redhead down there. I don't know what he's always, I don't know what, he just sits in the shepherd's face. He sits there. Oh, yeah. That's him. Bring that William Wallace to me. Well, he ain't bringing William Wallace to you. I had this, this person at the, uh, a lot of people listen to our podcast here, and this, this guy came up to me from up north at the table conference. He said, you were nothing like I thought you would be. What, what were you thinking? That I flex and the Lord stands behind me every day when I preach? My wife wakes up in the morning bawling, crying, and who she's marrying? Gideon's like, no, no, I'm not doing it. Moses is like, you want me to go do what? 
I can't talk. Here, take Aaron. See, we got it all backwards. The heroes in God's kingdom, they're misfits. They're ragamuffins. I'd love to know how many people lead a church like Bridgeway that had a nervous breakdown in their late 20s. I'd just love to know statistically. Think about it. People come in all the time for counseling to talk about the medications they're on. I know more about the medications than they do. I'm like a doctor. God chooses the unlikely broken. If you don't feel broken, then I'm just going to step slowly away from you. We're all broken. The point of heroes in Scripture is not the hero. It's the God of the hero. You're not the point of any of your narratives. You're not the main character. Main character is God. The story of Joseph is not about Joseph. The story of Joseph is about Jesus Christ. I just don't have time to go into it. Esther, Gideon, David, all of them. All of them. I, I, yeah, last night, we watched uh, Castaway last night. That thing's awesome. I love it. And sometimes I have a heart. When a movie is that long, I have to like pray in tongues to hang in there that long with the movie. And I was in and out of the movie thinking through in my mind all of the stories in the Bible from Genesis Revelation with the hero and a villain. There's a bunch of them. You can't pray for a wisdom on how to be ignorant of the Herods in your life. You pray for wisdom on how to walk with God in the midst of the Herods. Some of you are in that situation and your Herod season is right around you. Sometimes our opposition is from the people closest to us. Some of you may be in a season where the Herod situation is a second tier. You don't really know them that well, but it's opposition maybe in your business. Maybe it's opposition even in your physical body. You know what I noticed about the story of Matthew 2, and I don't have time to go into it. Even early on when Herod's trying to kill Jesus, God uses angels to deliver his own baby boy. I cannot, I have no paradigm for anyone who doesn't want to believe in the supernatural to help me walk through this life. Someone that does not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural, I, I, I don't even have a grid for that, honestly. If Jesus Christ needed angelic intervention, I might. Maybe. Let's go back to James, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Next verse. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Has it ever occurred to you that the Father even began to groom Jesus before Jesus even knew how to whimper? A lot of people think that the cross was the test for Jesus. Jesus was tested the first day of his birth when these magi see this star and they come to visit this boy king and the devil's trying to kill Jesus from day one. But all he keeps doing is winning. His brothers turn on him, think he's nuts. Disciples thought he was crazy. The own Jewish people he came to deliver killed him. But yet somehow, opposition groomed Jesus to fulfill his assignment 
why do we complain at opposition in our lives? Why not rejoice? Charismatics have such a weak theology of suffering. We've become such entitled and we have pacifiers in our mouth and we just, since I'm so favored and I listen to that hyper grace teaching, I'm just supposed to walk in just so much favor and the enemy's not supposed to be able to even get near me. The enemy was in the upper room with Jesus Christ when he entered Judas. A lot of charismatics would have intercession to keep the enemy out of the upper room. That's not the way the kingdom works. Some of y'all are running away from Herod. Walk with Herod and watch Herod be defeated through a powerful God through your little bitty life. Opposition is an invitation for God to show off in your life. You know, it's interesting too. James would say this. They called him old camel knees, half-brother of Jesus. I bet that was awkward. I, I, I cannot wait to talk to him one day. Imagine like around 14 or 15. They're sitting around the table. We did this the other night we, at, our, at our house. We just talked about some of the most fun things we've seen that are supernatural in the kingdom with my kids. We watched Heaven is for Real the other night. The movie's awesome. Can you imagine Jesus being about 14 or 15 and Mary saying, oh, I will never forget Yeshua when Gabriel showed up and manifested and told me you were God. James is sitting there eating his matzo bread, staring at Yeshua, thinking, yeah, you can't even beat me in soccer and you're God. James would not even believe in the ascension and the lordship of his own brother until about 30 years after the ascension. And uh, James would go on to write these words. He wrote these words on the heels of magnificent suffering. Paul was his happiest when he was being flogged. Why does opposition even have to make us unhappy? Why can't we be groomed with what's coming against us? Because as you just get stronger and stronger and stronger, it's like leather. You just keep getting better. It's like an old bottle of wine. It's like, look at what that person has been through. And they, they're more in love with the Lord now than they were before. You see, your assignment in the kingdom is not for your own platform or for your own elevation. Your assignment may actually be the hardest thing you've ever said yes to. See, all these people, they want these huge words over your life. No, you don't. No, you don't. See, the kingdom of darkness is structured that they want to take out a person that's not just getting their identity in the Father, but a person that they're starting to see, wait a minute, this person has a very important assignment. And so to the degree of your assignment, do not be surprised when you have to go through what the greats went through. Everyone wants to be Noah. No one wants to build a boat forever. Everybody wants to have the influence of Paul. You sure about that? We watched uh, Everest yesterday. I've watched more movies in the last three days than I have in a long time. And uh, when you're climbing Everest, the last zone is called the death zone. You can't breathe without oxygen. You see, there's only certain places of God you can go to, Psalm 41, or excuse me, 24. There's certain places in God that um, only a few can go because it costs you more. I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die. I'm talking about going to the deepest places of God while you're here. Because when you go to the death zone, there's two types of deaths. The demonic realm wants you out, and a Luke 9.23 death must come to you where you don't have any more rights. Luke 9.23, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourselves. Get low. Take the lowest place. But if your goal in life is to build deep friendship with the Father, why would you not want to go to a Luke 9.23 death zone? Here's what's wild. People say, oh, I would never want that. 
It's the best place ever. I'm describing Psalm 23. The shelter of the Most High is not at the base of the camp. Anybody can live at the base of the camp. You want to climb the mountain of God, you go to a place where you don't have any more rights. And then it's like, I kind of feel like Paul and Silas. Everyone else is praying for me. I've never been this happy in my life. He knows my name. They know my name. That's a win. Let's stand up. I'll be true to my word. If you need deliverance, I'll stand right here. In the old days, you had to sign up and go to counseling for four weeks and then read seven books. You can get delivered in 10 seconds if you want to. In the name of Jesus, I bless you, Bridgeway, with a passion for violence towards the demonic realm. May he flee from you. Go in peace. God bless.